Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Today's sermon is entitled Chaos to Beauty. And honest to goodness, that was its title prior to the events on Epiphany 2021, January 6th. We as a people have come face to face with an epiphany just of a very different sort. Epiphany in our scriptural tradition, of course, is the manifestation of the King of the Jews. Jesus is finally born. We read all the story. It is the grand manifestation that not only is he revealed, but he is revealed to be king of all the nations as other wise men and magi come to bow before him. That is what Epiphany is. It's a manifestation of God's goodness. But we experience a very different Epiphany this week, did we not? We experience an Epiphany of the chaos that still resides at the heart of our nation. But as we said the other night at evening prayer, if you were able to join us, and if you weren't, go back and see what we had to say about that. But as we said the other night, if we start with the chaos, if the events around us are the matrix that we use to try to make sense of the gospel, meaning that current events are more foundational than our gospel faith, We will fail comically and tragically, we will fall comically and tragically short of the good news of the gospel. It is always and everywhere a mistake to take current events and then try to figure out what they tell us the gospel is. Rather, we tell the story of the gospel and that is what gives us, gives shape and meaning to the events that we find ourselves in. So people of God, before we get to that which has made us heavy laden over the last week. Let's tell our story. A beautiful story today played out in the celebration of Christ's baptism and the celebration of yours and the installation of our consistory, of our leadership. The reason my sermon is titled what it is, having nothing to do with the events of this week, and the irony of this Sunday is that our story And indeed, even our text, the Bible itself, begins in chaos. Belinda was so, (laughs) Belinda so anticipated my sermon when she said, hey, we're starting at the beginning. Yes, exactly. We are beginning at the beginning. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. It is probably beyond the bounds of our imaginations to imagine and foresee what a formless void looks like. But the Hebrew text is written to us to communicate a chaotic reality. From the very moment that I was a little child and I read these words, I always imagine, you know, the spirit of the Lord is hovering over the waters. And I always imagine just being in the middle of the ocean like at night. That's what that was the image that always came into my mind. But that image alone already shows some kind of order. There is water down here. There is sky up there. Even that is not disorderly enough. It's impossible for us to get to a place. What does chaos look like? But I'm telling you, that's what the Hebrew text is trying to communicate to us. There is no order. Everything is out of whack. Nothing makes sense. And it is instructive then that the only thing that is mentioned are these waters. From the very first verses of Scripture, 
water has represented a chaotic existence. We see this throughout, especially the Old Testament. And if you're an ancient person, this would make sense because without the technology to explore the ocean, the ocean remains this large, unknowable thing. The ancient people would have looked at their seas as a dangerous, chaotic place, full as it was of unknowns, and they built up beautiful, wonderful, and fantastic mythologies all around it. This is where we get ideas of these great sea creatures, the idea that you could sail to the ends of the earth and then just kind of fall off. We couldn't know those things. We didn't have the technology to figure out what the ocean was like, so it was always this unknowable and scary reality. This would have been true for the author of Genesis as well. Hovering over the seas, God is observing the chaos. And over and above that chaos, the wind of God blows. God is active over and against this chaotic, primordial existence. And then God says, let there be light. Into the chaos, God's word, God's word brings light. And throughout the text, and we didn't read the entire text today, which is just fine. I invite you to go read Genesis 1 if you want to hear how the rest of this text unfolds. But throughout the text of Genesis 1 in this creation story, we see God increasing order throughout creation. God takes the light and separates it. God takes the water and separates it, separates the water so that there's ocean and then there's sort of this firmament. And then God separates the water from the land and then God starts filling things. There is this increasing order. But it's not the kind of order that kind of boxes everyone in. God is not setting down law. God is creating an order that creates flourishing and life, this energetic and beautiful swarm of living things, all of it working together, all of it part of one beautiful whole. The underlying message, if we can hear, hear it with our ears, is that through this chaotic water, God is bringing the world from chaos into this beauty, chaos into life. And ultimately, God gets to the end of it when everything is ordered properly and says, it is very good. And God sits back on his great heavenly recliner and enjoys a day of rest. Life has been set in motion. It's a wonderful thing. And God just wants to look at it and take joy in that creation. Chaos into beauty. It should not escape our notice then that if that is the first story of our, what we call our Old Testament text, it should clue us in that the first story of our New Testament text also is a story of water. Now you're going, wait a second, didn't we skip over the Gospel of Matthew? Yes, we did, but Matthew was not the first thing written in the, Old, in the New Testament. Mark was. And Mark doesn't even bother with the story of the birth of Jesus. Like, that's not important for him. For him, this revelation, the epiphany that Matthew saw in the wise men, Mark sees in Christ's baptism. And in this story, we hear remarkable parallels between what Mark is trying to say and his knowledge of Genesis chapter 1. 
Mark's conviction is already that God is going to send, God's going to send a messenger, and that messenger is going to pave the way for the one who is chosen to be the Messiah. And Mark clearly understands Jesus is that. And so Christ, having descended from heaven, the place of complete and total order that gives life, descends from heaven to the chaos that is our existence. He descends into chaos, descends into death. And then not only that, the first thing Jesus does is descend into water, the symbol of chaos. And Mark says that he went into the water and he comes back out. And what does he hear? You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus himself plays out this new creation into the chaos. And out of the chaos comes beauty, comes life. This, my friends, is the meta-narrative, the large, sweeping story of faith that is played out in the life of the church, in the life of the scriptures, and in your life and in mine. From the chaos of the world, the chaos that is our own sin, our own death, our, the chaos that is the devil, the chaos of it all, we ascend out of the waters of baptism knowing that we are the beloved child of God and that God is well pleased with us. And the rest of our lives, the rest of our journey is a constant unfolding of this truth. God is perpetually at work taking the chaos that we see in our world and setting it right. God's constantly taking the chaos that is our lives and giving us life. Whatever we do, whatever we are called to, baptism remains our most fundamental truth. The truest thing about us is that yes, we live in a chaotic world and that Christ is setting it right. I was struck by this reality of what it means, how fundamental baptism is to us. When I attended an ordination two weeks ago to the newest uh, clergy member in the United Church of Christ, two weeks ago, uh, the Reverend Jessica Townsley had an opportunity to join via Zoom. And the way that her ordination was set up was a beautiful illustration of this. She proceeded into the sanctuary and she was wearing a white robe, just a very simple white robe, similar to what I wear on a Sunday morning. But this white robe is, of course, a symbol of baptism. Paul, other, Paul elsewhere says, take off the old man and put on the new one. And that's the image of this white robe in baptism. And then as the liturgy pro progressed and as she was called further and further into ordained ministry, the first thing that happened, they were, she was invited to preach the word. And so they laid a stole over her neck which is, of course, a symbol to proclaim the gospel, which may or may not include preaching. And then after that, there was what's called a chausable. And I don't mean to insult anyone's intelligence, but a chausable is a much larger liturgical garment. It looks like kind of like a very large poncho, but, in, but it's very liturgical and beautiful. And a chausable was laid over the white robe and over the stole, which is a signifier of her call to steward the table, the Eucharist, to preside at the sacrament. And by the end of her ordination liturgy, she looked like a reverend. She had all the trappings of it. But underneath of it all, the most basic thing about her, she entered into that sanctuary. Amidst all the responsibilities, the challenges, the joys and realities that one enters into when they enter into ordained ministry is this basic reality that we are baptized. We are the beloved child of God. The call of all these things is overlaid the most fundamental thing, which is the love and acceptance of God. And that emerges 
in Reverend Jessica's life and in your life and mine. It emerges out as we live out that calling into a life of order, purpose, calling, and yes, even joy in our life's work. What played out for Reverend Townsley in a very public and ceremonial scale is not any different than what plays out today for our consistory. By virtue of your baptisms, you, consistory members, are called into the service of Jesus Christ to proclaim the good news of the gospel with the unique skills and perspectives that you bring to your unique office. We, as a team, are entrusted with the baptismal message of shepherding the people God, of God from chaos into beauty, from the chaos and sin that is our lives into the beauty and love of God. It's your call in mind. Stepping on consistory, that is what you are called to do. And that brings us back to a word of caution for today. It's a beautiful call, but it comes with some weight. Because chaos, sinfulness, the devil, everything that we name as anti antithetical to Christ is not a past reality that is gone. Chaos is an ongoing reality. It is a sea over which we are called to speak God's words of life. And if we doubted that, if we believed that somehow we were into some beautiful Christian era where everything was just the way it ought to be, if that was our idea, that notion has been completely debunked this week. Because the events of this week have set out the chaos that is present not only in the world, but in our communities, in our nation, in stark and deeply troubling colors. It's the chaos that is still a pandemic that is raging. It is the chaos that is racism and white supremacy. The chaos that is violence and corruption. It is the chaos that is white Christian nationalism. It's division and insurrection. And it's also apathy, disappointment, failure, injustice, hunger, poverty. And we wholeheartedly and completely condemn and reject all these things because they are anti-Christ. They are anti-life. They are a return to a chaotic world from which Christ came to redeem us. We cannot proclaim these things. We cannot embrace these things and also embrace the cross of Christ. But just because Christ is redeeming us from these things doesn't mean that they don't have power. And we saw that power played out this week. That doesn't mean they are not present in our communities. And we face this chaos head on right now. The churches and the leaders that truly make a difference in the world understand that the things that we normally associate with consistory work, budgets, votes, decisions, meetings, being a liaison, whatever it is, are not unimportant, but they are merely tools for the real work, gospel work, baptismal work. And so to the consistory, I, I invite you to consider what our baptismal vocation is as you step into these offices. It is not to have place votes, it is to proclaim the gospel. It is not to start programs, it is to lead people from the chaos, the brokenness of their lives into the goodness of Christ's reality. 
That is what we do. And in this way, we do well to remember Paul's words. Our battle is not against budgets and programming. Our battle is also not against people, for we are called to serve all people. Our battle is against these very things, this chaos that Paul calls powers and principalities. Powers and principalities that have power, that have influence in our work, in our world today. That is what our battle is against. And indeed, friends, this is an important moment in our nation's history because these powers and principalities have been buried just under the soil. They once quietly lived under the surface and they now have risen to plain sight and we can see them plainly. Are we willing to engage them plainly? To say that is not what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is you are my beloved child whom I love, and that extends to every single human being. And to be a disciple of Jesus Christ means to say, we say, not blessed are the powerful, but blessed are the meek. Not blessed are those who rejoice, but rather blessed are those who mourn. Not blessed are those who succeed, but rather blessed are those who are persecuted. That is the call for leadership in the church out of chaos into beauty. And let me reassure you, it will be beautiful. It will not be easy, but it will be beautiful. Consistory, I'm grateful that you are joining in this work. Your congregation is grateful that you have joined in this work. And we look forward to the beauty that is to emerge from us all.